you can steal from me, from Maya Lansky, Charlie Luciano, and me. Oh, yeah. How you doing? Perfect, perfect timing. I'm on a thread with Bobby G and Butler and Jimmy, and I'm yelling at him in exclamation points. You're not taking this seriously. F you back to me. You're taking it too serious. It's like it's getting heated, <laughs> man. Perfect timing. Okay, great, great, great. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I've noticed in life with close friends, well, it doesn't matter who, with who it is, uh, sometimes texting can get a lot chippier than talking oh, on the yeah. phone. <laughs> because sometimes when you're talking, oh, yeah. then there's you can hear the sarcasm or the love, whatever. Yeah. But texting, you know, and then there's those friends, so, the thin-skinned friend. My friend Jimmy is so Save it. Save it okay, for the podcast. Great. Good. This is a good topic. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? So we got to get in Schuler at some point. We got to get in the virus. We got to get into um, no NBA. Maybe you can ask me, what's this wacky idea about the MGM and shutting down the strip and playing it at a couple of different spots? And uh, oh, I'll ask okay. you about Breaking Bad. Are you done with Breaking Bad or no? Yeah. Oh, my God. Definitely do that. Fault, right. yeah. please admit you're in danger. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. Okay, so three water my voice has been awful it took me a funny quick story it took me 45 minutes on the mad dog show sunday at noon to get my voice going like an opera singer so i (laughs) was scared i was scared because i can't pause because i don't have three co-hosts and two board ops talking on the air with me right the only way i could get out of it was to start ranting like a lunatic and it cleared everything perfectly. And then my voice was <laughs> off like an opera singer. I was, I was like in mid form. I was like, you know, a, a singer in a rock band. It, I was like, all of a sudden I just need to start screaming like Rob Halford and Judas Priest and my voice would be back. And it was. <laughs> Did you try 600 milligrams of pharmaceutical grade ibuprofen? No. Three, two, and one. Welcome to the JT and Looney podcast. Episode 34. Earl Campbell, baby. Earl Campbell. 34, the greatest running back or maybe the greatest football player of all time. He would have crushed Jerry Rice like a bug. You really think he would have been a better football player than Jerry Rice? He was a better football player than Jerry Rice. Earl Campbell could have come on the field. Earl Campbell was a running back. He should have been an offensive lineman. <laughs> he could have and he could have been a linebacker or a defensive end. We're talking greatest football players. Jerry Rice couldn't have been an offensive lineman. He might have been an okay running back, but Earl Campbell could have played any position on the field. That's really cool that you say that because 34, Earl Campbell just jumps right out. And please... Please mention sweetness, Walter Payton. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And I just, because since it was spontaneous, we didn't, uh, I didn't Google any 34s. That's just what popped into my head because he gets left off of conversations a lot. And I want to try to pull him back into conversations because I am one of those guys who usually thinks I don't have golden age syndrome, that guys who currently play are bigger, stronger, faster, more talented. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars could beat, you know, the, the, the Super Bowl winning Green Bay Packers from 1960s, uh, 50 to nothing. But I, there are certain guys that transcend generations because of size, speed, and durability, and Earl Campbell was one of them. 
There's no doubt that famous uh, John McKay, Tampa Bay Buccaneer team <laughs> that didn't win when he came into the league. I watch NFL timeline. Yes. There was no doubt because half the players quit. They, they were, part of it was so fun. They were leaving practice because they weren't allowed to have water and they were getting in cabs and not saying goodbye. I'm positive that the best team in college football would have beat that team. He was such a great character and didn't take himself too seriously. John McKay, the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who was one of the great college football coaches of all time, why he would leave USC to go coach an expansion team in the NFL and never win was uh, beyond me. But what a great character, good person. And, you know, during the height, when you were watching the playoff game and I was watching the OJ chase, when you were watching the Knicks playoff game, mm. and I was watching the OJ chase, on television and listening on the radio as I was driving around doing things. Remember, it took a long time. Uh, on KNX, they got a hold of John McKay and had him give a message wow. to O.J. Simpson just in case O.J. and Al Collins were listening to KNX. And he said, uh, O.J., this is Coach. And he tried to give OJ an inspirational message that would get him off the freeway and pull over and surrender to police. And I heard it on KNX 1070. Well, I'm happy we started off with the number of the podcast tied yeah. into football because I'm really pissed off and I wanted to get to this podcast quickly. We're sorry for the delay. It's been a, a week or so, a little bit more, but we've both been busy. And as we open up this podcast, as we are recording it on Monday, May 4th, there are 1,172,670 confirmed COVID cases, and we are at 68,326 as we record on our way to a much higher number, and I'm really frustrated about it. I'm really upset. We're coming off a weekend where I consumed some television from 60 Minutes to the evening news, and I saw, you know, chaos chaos that disappointed me from the beaches in Orange County, California, to my original home, which will always be my home, New York, and Washington Park and Central Park, and some of the video was so disturbing that I really was upset about it. I wanted to talk about it because we are not getting ahead of this. It's not getting better. I mean, you could be positive about it, and I want people to be positive about it, but, Tom, this is so serious right now as we're into this 50-plus days, and I'm getting more and more agitated by the minute. Yeah, and I sometimes think you're getting agitated because you're seeing the glasses half empty. Most yeah. people, yeah. are taking, I think, are taking this really seriously. Where I live, now you pointed out, you know, the pictures of the beaches uh, in Orange County last week. But that's an anomaly in the way that what I would always call a throwout statistic, the majority of people are putting on masks and really being vigilant. And actually being quite kind about it. If you're walking down a sidewalk, down a street, uh, on a hiking trail that's open, people separate by 6 to 12 feet. And a lot of times give a smile and a wave like nothing personal. So it's actually made us kinder. I think I'm impressed by how people, uh, even some of the wacky places that are just opening anyway, people aren't going to the stores. So uh, and they took a I saw a poll over the weekend from the Dallas Morning News about if people would return to Dallas Cowboy games if they were allowed to. And people, that four out of five said no. 
They weren't going to go to cowboy games. They weren't going to go to arenas. They weren't going to go to any concerts too soon. So most people aren't being political weenies about this. It's not a liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat issue. We do that with a lot of issues in America that aren't political. And uh, for I think most people are just taking uh, taking this seriously. Yeah, there's pictures of people on beaches that might not be, and in real small groups of people protesting that kind of get more publicity than they deserve. But I want to give the American people credit, JD. I think we're doing a good job. Yeah, and I'm happy you you wrote me in on that because I want this. I want to make myself clear again. I'm having a difficult time because now I've had multiple friends who have it. I have a good buddy of mine, a really good buddy of mine. His he and his wife, and his wife's father, his father-in-law have it, and it's nerve-wracking because you see some stories about people that are healthy, then they get it, and then they beat it, or they end up getting on a respirator, and then the next thing you know, you're waiting for information on friends and loved ones. And here's the issue with me, Tom, is that I've been working harder than I've ever worked which I don't need any credit for. I've been lucky. Right. I've said That's this just, on this podcast. Yeah. I've been very lucky. I've, I've had, I'm working six days a week, at least two radio shows for five of them. So I'm working Sunday through Friday and I'm inside a building where my radio teammates are not allowed in unless they're on the air. Most of them choose to be at home, which is a great choice. I, I'm more comfortable in a studio. So I'm social distancing that way. So I leave my home. I leave my home a couple of times a day to go to work, and then I come home. And throughout the process, I decided to carry a mask. I've been wearing a mask. I wore a mask into Home Depot the other day with my wife, one of those N95 masks. And it was so difficult to breathe, and it was so hot that I found myself at Home Depot not thinking about what I was there for, but the frontline workers, the doctors, the nurses, the people that are providing food who are wearing these masks. And I was breaking out into a sweat. It was so difficult to breathe. And my wife looked at me and she said, could you imagine the people who are trying to save lives that have to wear this 12, 16 hours a day? And it really brought me back to reality saying, I don't have it difficult, but I've been seeing people as as they're trying to get through this. For me, over the last 50 days, some people are taking it seriously. Other people are not. I'm consuming media that shows people doing things I don't agree with. And then the other media that I'm consuming is very dark and depressing because every story on the national news and the local news is about COVID-19. So all that is swirling in my head as I try to talk sports every day. And as you know, I am now a news anchor at KABC in Los Angeles. Talk Radio 790, KABC News, live and local at 11.02. I am Tom Looney. And there, I, I've hardly ever done, if I do a story that's not about COVID-19, it still is related in some way, like what you can do and what you can't do and what it's like flying on the airlines these days. Here in SoCal, you know you can't go to the beach, but here's what you're allowed to do this weekend here in the land of the free. Garden, golf, walk, jog, or run. You can play solitaire. You can hike, but only on trails that allow social distancing. You can do yoga in the yard if you want. You can play badminton, jump on a trampoline, walk the dog. Oh, and you can also watch TV or listen to the radio. Preferably, talk radio 790 KABC. That's this radio station right here. Hi. So it still is uh, one, usually one degree of separation if it's not something incredibly depressing. It's fascinating. And when it comes to the masks that you're talking about, 
Yeah. Could you imagine those people who with that same personality as you, including me, who are a little bit claustrophobic underneath that mask? I could never wear a turtleneck as a kid because I would yank on it until it got loose and I would ruin the shirt. Couldn't do it. And and it uh, the, the masks really bother me, but I still have one in the car and one in the house just to just to have two to make sure if I do leave the house and then forget to take it, there's one in the car. So I am cooperating with the mask, but I just like you, I feel like I'm suffocating underneath it. And there's got to be plenty of healthcare workers and frontline people and people working in the grocery stores and McDonald's who we didn't used to want to pay a, a living wage. And now we're thinking <laughs> uh, maybe we should. Uh, that have to wear those who are also claustrophobic and they've got to be suffocating all day. Well, it comes down to me. There's so many aspects to this story. It's the economic implications, which we tie into sports mostly on this podcast. And then it's about mental illness. It's about the wellness of our economy going forward and how we're going to open up the economy in different phases. And then it comes to what's bothering me the most is why, some people were so divided on this. The president, Pre- President Bush, 43, put out a beautiful statement and tweet yeah. about how this country could come together, no matter where you stand politically as a former president. So I watched the video. It was beautifully worded. It was fabulous. And I don't know why I did it, but I started to look down at the comments. And the comments were so divisive and mean-spirited. And I've evolved throughout this. Remember... A month ago, I was going into the park around my house on the outskirts of it, and I'd see people not social distancing. I'd take a photo of the yoga moms working out, and the people that didn't take it seriously, I'd put it up there. You were being a hall monitor, I remember. Yes, I was was being a tattletale, a tattletale, (laughs) and people were hammering me. But, you know, over the weekend, I'd tweet out, and it's an accurate picture of the Orange County beaches, and I say, way to go, Orange County. And 50% were like, look at those people. They are the worst people. They don't get it. And then the other side is, give me liberty or give me death. And people who think that I, JT, I'm either a wacko conservative right-wing lunatic or the best part, people think I'm the biggest liberal snowflake being screamed at, calling me a liberal. So right. it's so divisive. You must be doing something right. All of a sudden, that, you're Joe Scarborough. <laughs> yeah. People right. people that I assume know a little bit about me because they're following me on Twitter. Right. I don't have a couple of million followers. They're following me. They see what I talk about, and they have no idea where I stand politically. I almost feel like Michael Jordan in The Last Dance. No one knows right. who I stand for <laughs> politically. Right. But it's so divisive, and I'm spending more time. Well, people think you're a lunatic conservative because you yell. <laughs> yeah, I raise my voice. always been the case. <laughs> yeah. But you understand how the numbers are being skewed and everybody, no one's looking at social media anymore. They're diving in. Even people, you always mock and, and have fun with the fact that Facebook is for ice cream Sunday pictures and pictures for my niece's Holy Communion. That's all Facebook is. But now even if you put something up there, that talks about, hey, be careful, wear your mask, do the right thing. Even friends and family are going on your personal feed saying, this is nothing more than the flu. People die from car accidents every day. Some people just don't have empathy and sympathy for the people who are deeply affected and lost loved ones. They're turning it into some Political tennis match. It drives me nuts. I was Peter Pan when this first started thinking, well, 
this won't get political. I know we politicize everything in America, but this won't get political because it's a virus. Was I living in La La Land or what? I know. I mean, I know I do live in La La Land, and maybe that's related to it. But I am stunned at how, in some ways, it does seem to me like seventy-five to ninety percent of people uh, are uh, pretty much on the same page with us. They have this fear of this virus, and they're trying to take it seriously. But those that other small percentage is getting a lot of publicity, and I don't know if that's good because. It uh, it divides at a time when this is so something so easy that we can uh, rally around because you know because it affects because uh, everybody not only deals with life and death in their life but also has old people. It's not like we know not nobody knows old people. Everybody knows old people, and we've especially got to protect them because the mortality rate is so much higher. My friend's father just died from coronavirus, and he was a relatively healthy ninety-two year old man. Well, that's that's terrible. And I know 92 is a good that's a good number. If you're going to die at 92, that's great. But he probably could have lived to 100. And that sucks. Eight years is uh, is really important when we don't know mm-hmm. whether we have another life. At least most of us in this country I know other countries believe that we come back as a flower or a candy bar. But here in America, here in America, we, we, we mostly believe we have this one life to live. And so we can't be ageist about this either. And I just think it's I, I'm just so surprised that the political weenie factor has worked its way in. And you shouldn't read comments, JT. I've always told you you can't yeah. read comments because the internet is high school. It the is. Internet is to, yeah, but all of a sudden you graduate. We were able to graduate from high school and then the bullying in life really dies down after high school before the internet came along. And now it just keeps right on going. When you when we record these podcasts throughout COVID nineteen, we've been leading off with the death rate, and I wanted to do that because right. I want to be able to go back to two podcasts ago when it was at fifteen thousand or thirty five thousand, now yeah. almost seventy thousand, and be able to talk about how it's affecting us. So we'll have this, you know, we'll have this recording for the rest of our lives and to remember what was happening at this time. And it still, Tom, gets me so worked up is how how many people that were unaware of the severity of this and decided because they weren't Dr. Fauci, they weren't in the medical field, they don't know anything about this, that they politicized the numbers and went out of their way instantly to give you a number on what they thought was going to be the death rate or how many people would die at a certain date. So that 1,000 number sticks in my head. You know, no more than 1,000 people are going to die. And it stayed in my head. And then you heard this number come out about 2 million people could die or a million people could die. And once that came out, that was used by one side of this political debate to really give everybody a glasses half full scenario during this horrific time in American history. Well, if 100,000 die, it won't be a million Hey, if 130,000 die, it won't be 2.1 million. So they got that number in their head, which at the time seemed very outlandish. Right. And they're doubling down. They're doubling down. So there's a hot spot in New York, a hot spot in New Mexico, a hot spot. And then they say, well, it's not happening to me where I live. And the number isn't as bad as it was earlier predicted. So by throwing out that ridiculous 2 million number is just as ridiculous as the idiots, the assholes who opened up and said it would never get over a thousand. And now people are either sharp enough to back off and say, look, this is way over my, 
pay scale. I'm not going to comment on numbers anymore. Or you get the most despicable of all these people, the people who are doubling down and saying, well, it wasn't serious then, but I'm serious about it now. And I meant to say that, no, no, you were stupid enough to go on the record at the beginning of a pandemic where we don't know where it started. We don't know who it affected first. We don't know the exact origin of it. We don't know when it got to American shores. We're seeing people die and people continue to want to guess like they're betting on the over under on how many games the New Orleans Saints are going to win this year. It drives me batshit crazy. Yeah, and it's usually many times sports talk show hosts, not always, or maybe we think that because we listen to that more. But I always say with any and I always I've always said this about any scientific issue that don't listen to talk show hosts and disc jockeys and sports talk show hosts when it comes to uh, any scientific issue. Listen to doctors and scientists. And when it comes to COVID-19, anybody who has one of these, a microphone, should be very careful. She, she should you, treat the issue like, like the alphabet's name in Milwaukee. Giannis Antetokounmpo. If, remember, for years, we didn't learn about him right away because no one could say his name. So sportscasters would just ignore Giannis Antetokounmpo because they didn't know how to say his name. Many, two, There's a lot of people with microphones who should ignore COVID-19 if you don't know what you're talking about, just like we did Giannis Antetokounmpo because we couldn't say his name. There's nothing wrong with staying away from an issue, going on the air and say, I am not a doctor. I don't know enough about this. Be safe. Sounds like you should wear a mask and some gloves and social distance. And that's all a lot of people should say. But people, a lot of ignorant people saying a lot more. And a lot of people want to say things. They want to be sympathetic. They want to have empathy. They well, want to that's help. Better. That's okay. Uh, one of the things that I'm doing on my platforms locally and on Mad Dog on Sirius XM, but more locally in Vegas, what I'm trying to do is talk to leaders. So what I'm doing is every interview I get, I ask a leadership question. I asked it to John Gruden. I've asked it to football GMs. I've asked it to a regular people who are in charge of charities and running food banks. And somewhere in the interview, I'll say, during this pandemic, you're a leader in the community. What do you think you can do to help people who don't understand the gravity of this? Or what go. can you do to lead others? And they've been saying certain things, and I've been clipping the sound and saving it because I'm trying to remember what's happening. The one thing I'll pat myself on the back for when I saw this initially happen, uh, going back to a couple of podcasts ago, I was driving down Flamingo Boulevard in Vegas towards the Pac-12 tournament, basketball tournament before the NCAA tournament. And I was going to pick up my credential on a Wednesday in the afternoon and watch a game before I went to work. And on the radio and on my text message, I got a text message saying the tournament was canceled. They went from canceling fans and then they canceled the media and shut it down. And I told the story when I turned around, I, I literally didn't go. I, I'm, I'm so disappointed that I didn't go get my credential either way just to have it for my collection and say that's the COVID-19 credential because I was on my way there. I came home and I said, what's going to change from here on out? We had no idea, mm -hmm. but I knew I knew it was going to be big. I knew it was going to have a big effect on sports. Started telling everybody it's going to be football, football, free agency, the draft, and something will happen by the end of it. But I felt it that day, and it wasn't because I predict things for a living. I'm not someone, a psychic. I just knew on that drive home 
which felt very odd and unassuring, Tom, that there was something bigger coming, and I was right. Oh, and it happened to me. And first of all, as just a little side note, parenthetically here, when you talked about Flamingo Boulevard, as people are, and we'll talk about our viewing habits coming up, as people are isolating, the movie Bugsy, if you haven't seen it, it's on my top 10 list, maybe my top five favorite movies of all time. I think every scene is perfect, perfectly lit, perfectly written, perfectly lit. Flamingo. And that was the nickname of Bugsy's lover, Flamingo. Yeah. And, and the whole story about how Las Vegas was born, the movie Bugsy. Even if you have no interest in Vegas whatsoever that JT obsesses on and loves so much, you will love the movie Bugsy. Did you think you could get away with it? Did you think you could steal from me, from Maya Lansky, Charlie Luciano, and me, and get away with it? That you could rape us and humiliate us and get away with that? What? Give me an answer to that. Did you think you could get away no. with it or not? And do not lie to me. I'm not lying. Do not I'm lie not lying. to me. Almost a perfect movie. I was in the doctor's office, and I think it was maybe Tuesday, March 10th. And uh, the doctor's office on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles has really bad or no signal whatsoever. You can't get a signal in there. And when you're waiting, you know, that sucks because we love to look down at our phones. And so I was in there about, let's say, a half an hour. During that half hour, it was like your flamingo day. During that half hour, the hell broke loose. When I came out and had a signal and got to my car, bloop, 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 it was Tom Hanks tests positive. NBA shutting down, the, the, you know, at least the, suspending the season. Uh, Pac-10 tournament suspended. And it was all, all happened in about the half hour that I didn't have a sing a signal. And it was like, it was such like a, a feeling of zombie apocalypse, awful foreboding feeling, probably the feeling you had, like what is tomorrow gonna look like in the next several months gonna look like? And now mm -hmm. what we feared and we've been experiencing. So this is therapeutic to me, this podcast, because I can't do this on the radio. I can't open up my show in Vegas or Sirius XM and talk like this. Right. I could talk, but I, I just wouldn't go this deep into the pandemic and how I'm feeling personally. And I've been torn because I know people affected, but I'm also torn because of my family within my house. My son's home from college. He should be thriving at college. My junior yeah. in high school, who I'm proud of, my junior in high school, who's 16, has a lot of friends, and his friends have disappeared. Now, they haven't disappeared when they talk on their video games or they're on their mm -hmm. phone or they FaceTime, but he deserves to go out on a Friday night. He deserves I to, and he can't do it. When you grow and you learn how to do that. Oh. Yeah, and it's he's at that stage where or anybody with your DNA wants to go out. And we're and we're holding him back. We're not letting him hang out with his best friend. We're not letting oh, him do that no. yet. But I but I believe that. And here's what really is crazy. I believe that the weather, the weather is changing the way we think because New York finally had some nice weather. Boston had some nice weather, and people who were sheltering in place and doing the right thing and helping flatten the curve decided to go out, which they're Lost allowed to mind. do. <laughs> yeah, they're allowed, they're allowed to go yep. out. That's not a problem. Yep. But they weren't social distancing. They weren't wearing a mask. Dave Portnoy from Barstool put out something. Michael Rappaport, both those guys who have clashed at times and put out some really aggressive 
and fun and unique content. I retweeted them because basically what they were saying in New York was, come on, assholes. Everybody else who's doing it right, don't blow it and turn it into a hot spot again because you're all standing outside a bar or you're all 30 people are hanging out on top of each other. You're either in or you're out. And for all the people that are doing the right thing, I know I speak for many who are aggravated with the people who are not doing the right thing because what it does is it shines a light back at us that, hey, everything you're doing, you think you're right, but hey, we're over here and we could give a shit. We don't think it's going to get to us because we're young. We're in our early 20s, early 30s. We don't think it's going to get to us. So we're going to do what we want. So it's dividing people. It's getting people more agitated, I think is the best word. And we don't know where we are. People like to say, are we in the first quarter, the second quarter? I'll throw it back to you, Tom. Where are we with COVID-19? What quarter are we in this football game? I think we're in the second quarter. I'm taking a look at the numbers. And I also, and that's what bothers me about states trying to reopen, cities trying to reopen too soon. I know people are desperate to pay their bills, but everybody in every corner is having issues with the bills, whether it's the banks or the people or or the the regular guy, everybody, because everything has stopped for everybody. We've never pushed a, a pause like this before. And I think that the one of the things that really worries me is I've mentioned this before. This is like you're going on a trip to Disney World and you live in Delaware and the kid in the back of the back seat keeps saying, are we there yet? And you're six states away and five states away and four states away. And the kid keeps saying, are we there yet? And you still got another day to go. And I think we are we're really getting too ambitious, too impatient. Not we, but some of the states that are worried about elections and worried about economies and worried about votes. And some of the leaders are worried about those things over our own health. Then it's going to keep us in the second quarter for a while rather than I think once you're in the fourth quarter, you should reopen economies, not in the second quarter. And that's where I think we are. And I will say this about New York and Los Angeles, where people saw some of those pictures. One quirk that happened on that Tuesday, March 10th where I talked about things changed. And then several days later, LA went into a lockdown. And quite oddly, I moved to LA from Syracuse, New York a long time ago. And in Syracuse, the sun never shines. It shines in July and August and that's it. And we went into Syracuse weather uh, right after they, they, they closed everything down in LA. And so we were stuck in our houses, but it was rainy a lot and cloudy a lot. We didn't have a nice day for about five weeks. And so the first nice day, people ran out and went to the beach, and it wasn't a good look. But it was. But people are pretty much cooperating. Look, I'm not an expert on this, and I know I'm preaching a little bit here, and I apologize for those who think I'm preaching. It's just I'm being honest on this podcast. You're worried. People are worried, and you're worrying out loud. You're W-O-L-ing, and it's great. Well, well, I got an 80, a 1, and an 80-year-old parents, my mom and dad. I have really good friends. Again, a new friend that uh, an old friend who has it just recently, and I'm concerned for him. And I, I don't have a problem sharing that, but I know that I don't have all the answers here. But I know if I'm conflicted, because I think I'm a unique case, and what I'm not a better case or worse, I'm unique because I'm working every day. So nothing has affected me financially. Also, right. I've never been this focused on work because I get to work and I feel very lucky and blessed for the time being that my job 
is is doing well and I don't have to worry about, oh my God, it might happen a week from now. It could happen whenever that I'm out of work and I got to transition to a new gig or whatever. So all that's going okay for me, but I'm seeing friends and family who have now missed two months of paychecks or close to it. No hope on the horizon. Again, right. I live in I live in Vegas, even though I'm hosting this in my wife's walk-in closet. <laughs> and happy birthday to my father-in-law, who's Whoa. 80 today. Wow. And uh, I know my mother-in-law loves listening to the podcast because she can hear Looney. So happy birthday to my father-in-law, Mike. I call him Grandpa. I don't call uh, anybody by their <laughs> first name like that. Uh, and he is he is 80 today, but. I live in Vegas, and the casino aspect of this is really unique because the new news in the NBA, which is really a big topic, Mick Akers from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, I interviewed him earlier oh, today. One second before you go on to that, mm-hmm. I just want to say I got this text from my brother, as you were mentioning that and your old mm-hmm. parents. My brother, as we're talking, mom's coronavirus test came back negative. My mother's wow. in, in an assisted living place. All 300 of the 400 test results that have been received back have been negative so far. So that's been a worry for me because, because my, you know, everyone's hearing about nursing homes, it's old folks' homes, assisted living, et cetera, where a lot of old people are suffering and dying at uh, unusual rates compared to the rest of the country. So that's been a big worry about mine, a big worry also. You always worry about your parents dying, but I was worried, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, about if something, if my mother dies and we have no funeral, we're Catholic people. Yeah, I have a funeral, you know, memorial services. We need a funeral, lots of cousins and aunts and uncles and people hugging and eating. And um, and so that's good news because I was you know, definitely worried about uh, everything having to do with my mom. And you've got a lot of old people in your life. So, you know, so we've had a lot to worry out loud about when it comes For- to that. For the thousands of times you've interrupted me, that yeah. might be the best. That's the most important. I'm, I'm emotional. Your mom is safe. You got a text that meant everything to you. You shared it on our podcast in real time. Uh, that's a really important moment. I'm happy for you and your mom, especially in assisted living, when you see the enormity of the numbers of people in oh, assisted living God, and yeah. what happens once the virus gets inside of a nursing home or an assisted living facility that's where the majority of these numbers are spiking and to paint the picture for the listener yes i have interrupted you thousands of times and yes, to paint the thousands. picture for the listener especially our caucasian listeners who know tom petty and the heartbreakers <laughs> if you've ever heard the song runaway train that's what it's like hosting a show at jt he's a runaway train and when he mentioned his parents and his in-laws and how old they were before he got to the nba playing in vegas at the mgm i had to slow down that runaway train and talk about my mother. <laughs> awesome. So that's, yeah, so that's where the interrupting habit comes from. I got to slow down the train. What's going on in Vegas? Vegas! You think we get there by midnight? Honey, we're going to be up 500 by midnight. Yeah! <laughs> Vegas, baby, Vegas! The MGM wants to house the NBA going forward. They have a plan mm-hmm. in place. Mick Akers from the Las Vegas Review-Journal came on with me to discuss it, and it's really unique because about a month ago, the idea was bring them all to Vegas, test them, you know, contain them in casinos, and then bus them to T-Mobile, Thomas and Mac, let them play, and do all that. Now the plan, there's two plans. One is at Walt Disney's Sports Complex in Orlando, Florida. I've been there. It's gorgeous. You can do it there. But the one in Vegas is they would take the south end of the Strip where the Mandalay Bay is, the Luxor, 
The Mandalay Bay also connects to the Delano Hotel and the Four Seasons. And what you would do is you would quarantine all the NBA players, most likely in the playoffs, and you'd put them in that building, Mandalay Bay. They have all this convention space where they can build 24 basketball courts. Um, five of them would be for television. The rest would be practice courts. And they have an arena where the WNBA uh, Aces team plays. And then here's what gets unique, Tom. All the people that would be helping and servicing the NBA players and their staff, that would be room service, the individuals who clean the room, prepare the food, they wouldn't be able to go home either. They would stay in the Luxor. The Luxor has a wow. walking bridge, which connects to the Mandalay Bay. So once everybody goes into this bubble to potentially start the NBA, everybody's got to live in that bubble. LeBron can't get in a cab and leave the Mandalay Bay and go to the win. You know, his family would have to stay in that bubble. That's what this plan looks like. And it seems like it's gaining interest. It could be really outlandish and something from a sci-fi movie, or it could be the best plan in place that could save the NBA and get us up and running, not in the month of May, but maybe get them out there by June, warming up and practicing, and then picking this up in July into August and then running with the NBA until they, until we crown a champion. I think it's a oh cool idea. Oh, my God. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like something we need. We do need entertainment. And all throughout the course of the history of this country, uh, we've, always, we've always recognized the need for entertainment. I do know that there's a water shortage in the West. They still will always at all times will allow fountains to use water in Vegas because of that need that we feel in our culture to be entertained. Mm -hmm. And with so many people, you know, uh, we're talking about our TV habits. So many people are getting to catch up. Uh, you know, people would rather watch a little bit of sports every other night as everyone is having date night after date night after date night and drinking at home and smoking at home or whatever you do. Uh, and, and watching full six seasons of breaking bad like me and uh, full seasons of Sopranos or whatever you missed, House of Cards over the years, that you're, you thought you'd never have time to catch up on six seasons of some great show that you missed out on, and now we realize we have time. We would like to break it up every once in a while and watch a little sports, so I would look forward to that. Yeah, and before we get to Breaking Bad, because I know you're right. jumping through the uh, microphone uh, to get to that, uh, uh, the last thing I wanted to say about all these ideas and what I'm seeing, which is unique because I'm leaving the house, coming home, washing my hands, taking the clothes that I wore in the studio, off in the garage, trying to follow rules. Wow. Just because we've been doing this, it doesn't mean we stop. And I think the weather, which I wanted to get to, I had a buddy of mine invite me over for dinner on Sunday night. And he said to me, quote, why don't you just come over for dinner? Bring your wife. It'll just be... Uh, four of us. No, no, because I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to leave my quarantine situation, go to your home or even your backyard and do that. Now, can we social distance? Of course. Have I sat out on my driveway with a neighbor who was 20 feet away, 10 feet away? Absolutely. But just because the weather is getting nice, the weather's getting warm, doesn't yeah. mean the rules change where we can break down and go, like we're yawning and getting out of bed. Oh, it's May. Oh, the weather's nice. It's not raining. I'm going to change the rules and I'm going to change my mindset on Corona 19. And I think that happened all over the country this past weekend. 
It was magnified in New York City. It was pointed out from Rancho Cucamonga to Newport Beach, Huntington Beach. And I think it got a little crazy, a little bit freaky this last weekend. And I don't like it. And I wanted to say that on this podcast. I could give a shit who tweets back at me and says, hey, man, don't let I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm just telling you, respect the other people who are trying to go about it correctly. Well, and it's also a blessing to have a life. So it's uh, this is also another one of those things where, you know, the coronavirus will remember, reminds us, you know, don't don't jump the gun here. Try to be safe. And it reminds us so often now that you can't get together with your friends. How many people in our lives have we thought have we put off the coffee, the lunch, the dinner, traveling to see them? Because you thought, well, I'll have another day to do that. And now it's piling up and piling up. The guilt is piling up. And the and the, rem, the reminder that we don't have forever to get together and have that breakfast, lunch, dinner, or vacation to see a friend, we don't have the time that we thought we did, do we? And as you have to put off, as you, who loves to socialize, had to put off dinner with friends thinking, I probably shouldn't do this. And I've had to do the same thing. I, uh, it's just, it's just we have to take a look at the blessing that we have of our life and protect it. Can I throw something cryptic in here if we have someone listening to the very end, which you have to listen to the end of the podcast. Okay. But when we do get back to normalcy, word used all the time now, I'm calling time out. As I said in another podcast, I'm going to see my mom and dad. I'm going to see my sisters when I get the green light. My father-in-law, who's 80 today. And hopefully my friends, my my great group of guy buddies who are my buddies who I miss. And I don't care about my job, my income, the day of the week, the month of the week. I'm calling time out because my mind needs to connect back with my family and friends and not with work, which I'm happy to do. But I need to time out because I want to see the people I care about the most. And it's been too long, and I'm not yep. used to going this long. And the Zoom cast have been fun, and the FaceTiming's been great, but it's not the same, Tom. So I hope in the next couple of weeks we have more to add. <laughs> now let's get to Breaking Bad, which I'm embarrassed. It's I'm a, I'm a TV connoisseur. I love television, and I'm I'm concerned that it's going to be too much work. I can't do it. You knocked out Breaking Bad. I'm so jealous. Tell me about it. Oh, man. You know, it's a mild-mannered high school chemistry teacher and Walter White, and he thinks his life can't get much worse. His salary barely makes ends meet. Uh, you know, a situation that's not likely to improve because his wife is pregnant. He's got cancer. He's got a teenage son with cerebral palsy. By the way, Walter Jr. is the teenage son, might be the most lovable character in the history of television, this teenage son with the cerebral palsy. And uh, Walter's kind of dumbstruck, uh, the, the boring high school chemistry teacher when he has terminal cancer, and realizing that his illness is probably going to ruin his family financially. He makes this desperate bid to earn as much money as he can uh, you know, buys an old RV and turns it into a meth lab on wheels and starts to make a fortune. And of course, of course, just like in Ozark, all chaos, chaos ensues. Brian Cranston plays Walter Wright. He's great. Uh, Skylar White is played by Anna Gunn. Walt, please, let's both of us stop trying to justify this whole thing and admit you're in danger. 
I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Well, I mean, Aaron Paul is Jesse Pinkman. Yes. Even the follow-up movie was uh, El Camino, which was terrific, which was like Breaking Bad. Uh, it would be season five, episode 17, basically, that movie, and it was terrific. R.J. Mitt, I got to mention, plays Walter White Jr., who in the history of television, plays one of the most lovable characters. It's funny, this 15-year-old kid who, you know, took, you know, it was 62 episodes. It went from 2008 to 2013. I remember in season like five uh, or six, they had uh, they had his 16th birthday. I'm thinking 16th birthday, he looks about 23, right? Which he probably, he probably was. But nevertheless, Bob Odenkirk, uh, you know, from Better Call Saul, Saul Goodman, who was uh, that was his, where the character was born. He, anybody, anybody who's ever seen him and anything, he's terrific. It's one of the greatest episodic television series I've ever seen on a Mount Rushmore. As we salute Don Shula as well, who looks like Mount Rushmore and belongs on the Mount Rushmore of, of football coaches, the Mount Rushmore of great television series of all time, if not the best. It was that good, and you were able yeah. to follow through the whole entire thing. And the way Incredible. that they would tease it ahead is we a term we use in the broadcast business, where the end of a show would end with a cliffhanger or a tease, where it would beg you to want to watch the next show. And with Netflix, you can just keep on going. And so, yeah, and instead of going to bed at 11.30 or 12.30, you're going to bed at 2.30 in the morning and wanting to go to bed at 3.30 and watch another one. So it is one of those great, the television show is so great and produced so well and the tease at the end and the cliffhangers at the end that want you to go into the next episode uh, so badly that you stay up until all crazy hours of the night like you're 20 and in college. Is 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 how great this show is. It makes you stay up uh, till three in the morning, like you're 20 years old and in college. Yeah, and it puts the pressure on me to see it next. Out of all the shows oh. that I've watched, yeah, and, because you're going to have plenty yeah. more date nights with your wife. Because I don't, I think we're going to be staying inside, and you and I have an attitude of there's, you know, we're going to stay inside and keep our mask on. When we go outside as long as humanly possible mm-hmm. and be good citizens. So uh, I think you and your wife will just love it. Episode 34. And let's wrap up the podcast, uh, paying respects, rest in peace to Don Shula, who died earlier today at the age of 90. The winningest coach in NFL history, won two Super Bowls with Miami. He's an absolute legend, the 72 Dolphins. Uh, Andrew Ashwood, our our good friend, my former mentor, Mm -hmm. once told me, I'll never forget when he told me it. He said, when someone dies who's legendary in sports, they deserve more than one segment. Mm-hmm. And that stayed with me my entire life. If if I was live on the radio for four hours tonight, I'd do four hours on Don Shula. And every phone line would be packed on Don Shula. But as I'm changing up the format of the show, Brick at Night on Mad Dog, I'm not able to do that. I definitely wanted to say this. For radio hosts to leave out Shula, for people to gloss over it because the last dance was too important to talk about Jordan Please pay respects to this man. And, Tom, you mentioned those who can't go to funerals because of what's happening in the world. He could fill that stadium, that Hard Rock Stadium in Florida, South Florida. He could get 70,000 people in there and a line around the building. If it was appropriate to gather like that right now, you're right. They could sell out 
that stadium, including the uh, including the field. Yeah, for uh, absolutely for a funeral or a memorial service to Don Shula. You're absolutely right. And the the what he did to the Miami Dolphins brand. People who grew up in the 70s, who lived all over the country, just like the Cowboys now or the Patriots or Notre Dame has fans who live all over all around the country who've never been to Dallas or Boston or South Bend, Indiana, and couldn't find it on a map, but they like the Cowboys or the Patriots or Notre Dame football. Same thing with the Miami Dolphins. They've got fans all over the country that are trying to relive that magic of the 70s thanks to one man. Don Shula. Well, the guy at the top, Don Shula. And what's uh, several, one thing I'm just noticing is I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. They've got a picture of him from 1952 when he's in the Ohio National Guard. He looks exactly the same. He's one of those guys that really yeah. aged well, where if you met Don Shula at 19 or at 90, you know, oh, he never has to remind you he's Don Shula. His face and jaw, big jaw, didn't change. He had a great look. He looked like football, and he looked like Mount Rushmore, and like he was carved out of stone, and he was classy. I mean, he was not a controversial head coach in any way, shape, or form. Always just gleamed with class and, and the way he conducted himself, always at all times from what I remember and what I've seen over the years. Seemed like he would never die. He was an icon in the 70s. Yeah. To stay an icon through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and into the new millennium is hard to do. But he stayed there, iconic, throughout all the decades. Dolphin said in a statement, Don Shula was the patriarch of the Dolphins for 50 years. What would we say if he would have beat Joe Namath? He was the coach of the Colts, a much better team and a heavy favorite. In the third Super Bowl, Joe Willie Namath won that game, won the MVP. A lot of people remember that. He was a player, played seven years in the NFL, and most famous Don Shula for winning 347 games between the regular season and the playoffs. That's number one all-time with two Super Bowls under his belt. He coached in a total of five, so winning two, but he was a Mount Rushmore coach, and He's one of the most important men, Tom, in NFL history. No debate about it. So Don Don Shula deserves to get much credit in this podcast. Oh, my God, yes. And he's not most famous for winning 347 games. He got bigger than that. Famous for being famous, like Mona Lisa. Mm -hmm. You know, he would walk down the street. People wouldn't automatically say 347 like they might say 755 for Hank Aaron or 714 for Babe Ruth. He was even bigger than a number. He was just a st- first of all, he looked like a statue, so he was statuesque. And you're right, the face of the Dolphins for the rest of time, once he took over as coach of the Dolphins in the early 1970s. You know, and that undefeated team, you know, a lot of times expansion, that was an expansion team. Expansion teams suck uh, for a long time. He walked into Miami, waved a magic wand after having already taken the Colts to the Super Bowl. How did that happen that he left the Colts? And and then ended up, to, you know, having an undefeated team early on in the history of the Miami Dolphins. I'm going to go jump in the pool and then go do some radio. I love podcasting with you. We'll do it again soon. All right. Boom. We're done. Game over. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E. 
AV on YouTube.